You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, episode 34. Casey Anderson is an Emmy-nominated filmmaker, an adventurer, explorer, and TV host. He has spent the last three decades traveling the world, capturing nature and wildlife through the camera lens. Born and raised in Montana, Anderson spent his childhood exploring the vast wilderness that was his backyard. And by the age of 18, Casey was guiding wildlife filmmakers into remote locations to track and film the most elusive wild animals. At 26, he adopted an orphaned grizzly bear, which led him to co-found the Montana Grizzly Encounter, a sanctuary for grizzly bears saved from inhumane situations. As a television personality, Casey has been on the Nat Geo Wild Channel, BBC, PBS, Travel Channel, Discovery Channel, and has been a regular contributor to Conan and Oprah. He has made it his mission to bring his love for the wild into the hearts of the world, instilling a drive to conserve untamed and untouched wild places. Casey's films include Monster Encounters, America the Wild, The Mountain Lion and Me, Finding Beasts, Casey's Wild Backyard, Bear With Me, Man vs. Bear, and Expedition Wild. Good morning, Casey. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be on the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. How's it going for you this morning? It's going well, man. Thanks for having me on here. Awesome. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this because you are a man of many, many talents. Um, I want to, I want to <laughs> I, I start really like I do with all of these of just getting into the um, the nitty gritty of how you got into wild, the wildlife filmmaking industry. Uh, you know, going back as far as as you want. You know, what was it that spurred your uh, your career and, and got you into this industry? Well, um, you know, being born and raised in Montana was really the the start of it. Um, you know, having the wild right out the back door. Um, I was that kid that was just always running around out in the woods, fell in love with the woods, uh, fell in love with animals, um, had parents that uh, recognized that passion um, and didn't tell me not to do it. Um, you know, so I knew I was always going to do something with animals, uh, you know, volunteering, wildlife rehab centers, things like that. But then I uh, went to college to study wildlife biology. Um, and in the summer months for jobs, I started just going down into Yellowstone and meeting people and, and helping, helping people do things that down there with wildlife. But one thing that came to me was, you know, these guys from Los Angeles or New York would show up in Yellowstone. Um, they were, had to make a wildlife documentary and they didn't know where to find a grizzly bear or a pack of wolves or whatever. So they would hire this 18 year old kid to find him for it and carry all their heavy gear to the, wherever the bears were. And that's how I started off. I mean, I was doing that a lot in college um, and yeah, and started making a bit of a reputation because I was finding some of the critters for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know how it is when you, you start doing things like that, then it's, and then it turns into, Hey, I've got this other camera. Maybe you should hit record on it. Or, you know, you just start getting involved more in the, in the process. And yeah, that's how it started. And then it just snowballed and snowballed from there. And uh, I've done a little bit of everything since then. That's fantastic. So you, so you literally were just you were there while they were recording. You got involved a bit. What was the first kind of key moment that uh, got you either in front of a camera or behind the camera? What was the first thing that actually was the first career move in terms of actually doing something uh, with a with a program, a wildlife program? Uh, one that sticks out in my mind was it was the year that they introduced the wolves to Yellowstone. Um, it was a man from LA who was doing this series called Safari play like an outdoor network or something, but it, he had to, he had to do like 30 half hour episodes. So he was just doing a bunch of things. And um, I had been paying attention. I knew where some of these secret holding pens were. <laughs> right. And I met this guy and he was just asking about the wolf thing. And he was trying to, you know, cover this, this new thing that was happening and whatever. And I said, Hey, I know how we can, uh, climb up this ridge and come down the back and get a little sneak peek down into the holding pins. 
He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's not, not illegal. You know, it's like, you just, I just know the way and I know where these are. Um, so he, he was pretty interested and, uh, I snuck him in there and we filmed some of the wolves who the running around and they're pacing around waiting to be released. Um, which is cool now that in retrospect, you know, yeah. that was a budding thing and to happen. And then that whole thing with wolves has happened. And I've re, you know, I've revisited the, the ancestors of those first wolves many times since then um but yeah that was it that was like i've made a relationship with that guy and uh continued up working with him and did several things took me to africa and india and everything after that so that was really the, the key move was that one fantastic and now of course you i mean your credits are you're a, you're a tv host you're a producer you're a camera person you're an executive producer just right, what what would you say is the the main one of those uh, titles that is the biggest percentage of of what you do? Uh, it's well, it's changing, it's ever evolving. I mean, I started my own production company, uh, Vision Hawk Films, so I never thought I was going to do that. <laughs> um, so now, I mean, I'm I'm kind of doing a bit of being, uh, you know, getting gray in my beard, and I'm being more of a, a boss, I guess, you know. Right. Overseeing, overseeing productions um but at the same time i'm still still hosting and i run cameras constantly i mean part of that we do a lot of stuff within my production company that is either me hosting or you know, i'm being a cinematographer um so i i guess what's changed um i have to worry about other people <laughs> you know in the past it was just worrying about me um yeah. which is you know navigating that um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the older you get, um, and the more you learn, I mean, now it's been, gosh, I mean, we'll be pushing 30 years here, 25 years, 25 years been doing this. Um, and I, you know, now I've got kids that were that kid that I was when I was, you know, 18 in Yellowstone that work for me. And, uh, it's fun because it's, uh, you know, you, you learn a lot in 25 years and you, you've got a lot to learn yet too, but you have a lot you can pass on to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I find in this industry, and I think everybody can say this, is that when you look back on it, it's who you know and how hard you work for those people that you know and, and uh, that reputation you make and uh, just, you know, keeping uh, being a good person. And uh, that, that counts a lot in this industry. Yeah, we hear that a lot, uh, an absolute lot. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of from my you know, traveling the world with a small crew and understanding that it's about what those people are like that you're with, not necessarily their skill set. You know, the skill set can be learned as you go along to some degree. Um, but if they if you don't get along with someone and you're spending months in the field, that's a whole different, <laughs> a whole different thing. So personality comes into this a huge amount. So, so if you had to pick one of those jobs that you do, one of the roles, what would you say is your favorite? Do you have something that you would much prefer to do getting up every morning? You know, would it be heading out to be a host or heading out with a camera on your shoulder? Yeah, good question. You know, the thing that it, that really keeps me excited is is i mean it's a little bit everything in those but it's it's more of the subject matter i think it's like if someone comes to me just for i'll just give an example and not i can't give you too many details yet but you know sure. someone comes to me and says hey do you think you could film this animal that's never been filmed before in this location right yeah you know and in this case, it was mountain lion, something I know quite a bit about. Um, I'm like, yeah, I think I can. I mean, I want to try. You know, nothing is impossible. If this animal walks and lives, it leaves tracks. I can follow the tracks. I can get a pattern down. If I get a pattern down, I can start making some predictable moves. I can make some predictable moves. I can get something on camera. And if I can get something on camera, maybe I can start telling a story. And now we can start doing something here, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I love those challenges. Now, whether it's, you know, at some level, it is almost comes back to me as a kid that those things that excite me, it's the naturalist aspect of this whole thing. It's the tracking. It's the understanding behavior, trying to trying to tell these stories that people can't tell very easily. You know, I love when someone comes to me and says it's impossible. Yeah. Those are the things that make me excited. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so those are, that's, you know, and Sometimes that's running the camera. Sometimes that's being a host and talking about the, the situation. And sometimes it's all of them, you know, I'm, I'm going to be going to Kodiak here um, with a team of two young kids and me. 
And, uh, you know, I'm going to be running camera. I'm going to be being the executive producer, director. I'm going to be hosting the, the little shows that we're going to be doing. Um, and I'm going to be hoping these kids are, like I said, easy to get along with in a tent for a month. We'll yeah, find out. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great answer because... You know, I think what what is so important is animal behavior in this industry. I mean, like you said, when you started out, that people coming to you, uh, you know, how do we find these animals? Where are they? How do you track them? You know, we want to film them. You have that experience. And actually, we're, we're quite similar. I grew up running a wildlife park in the UK, uh, an animal sanctuary for, for 15 years or so, you know, once I, once I was an adult. <laughs> but I was there from like 10 years old. And it was that understanding of animals animal behavior that for me led into this career and helps me you know learning a camera you can do in a few weeks a few months it's just another skill set you add and you just practice 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 and you get it but learning animal behavior is nowhere near that simple i mean you might be able to go out and spend a few weeks with a species and start to see and understand what's going on but to have a good understanding of lots of different species mammals you know, birds, insects, whatever it might be, is a whole different thing. And uh, I think it's it's something that's so overlooked. I get so many questions from people, aspiring filmmakers, get wanting to get into the industry. And they're like, what camera should I get? What should I do? And I say, well, well, hang on, what have you done? You know, this, that, and the other. And so much of the time, they've done nothing. They've not put any time into the wildlife side of things and understanding any kind of behavior, whether it's of a, their own cat in their house and looking at how it, you know, gets ready to pounce when it's playing. Um, it's those kind of things. So it's really good to hear you say that because I think uh, that's what drives me as well. I mean, I love, I love being out there. If I'm filming, so, you know, if I'm being paid to film, then that's the, that's the best it can be. But if I'm out there seeing animals in their natural habitat, doing what they do, I'm a happy person. That keeps me going. So. <laughs> Go ahead. What you're saying, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting that you know the idea that you know you you grew up in the rehab center, you got to watch animals, and it, it is a secret weapon, man. Because as soon as you can start to anticipate behavior, you know, you know when they pick their head up, they might that means they might walk. That's right. And now you can start that pan a little bit sooner or whatever. And I think a lot of times when you see people, especially working a camera, um, that are really good, is they have that anticipation of behavior, yeah. and then they can really start to you know, technically they can do it all, but there's now the artistic side can come in because they're not just playing catch up all the time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You those, yeah. You're, you're, you you're filming. Yeah. You're filming sequences at that point, which is what it's all about. Right. It's telling a story with images. And, and I think, you know, that's the most valid part of being a camera person that I, I, you know, when people come to me and ask, it's always about image sequences. Anyone can pick up a camera. And the thing about today is that anyone can pick up a good camera. It, you know, used to be you'd spend a hundred grand for a, you know, for a broadcast camera. Now, gosh, two and a half grand, you can get a camera that, that films some incredible images. And so that's not the, you know, the, the thing that stops us from, from doing it. It's now understanding that a good image sequence is what people want to see, a good story. I say this time and time again, we can watch shows with incredible imagery. If it's a terrible story, no one stays to watch it. You know, For whereas sure. the other way around, if it's mediocre camera work, but it's a great story, you'll stay and watch it. So now you bring those two great stories and great image sequences together and you've got a pure winner. And so um, it's so, so important. So so going back to the roles, you know, a lot of the people are listening um, and watching are aspiring filmmakers. They get very confused about the terminology of all of these roles. I think, you know, camera person host is pretty obvious. But when we start talking about producing, directing, executive producers, people get confused as to what, what we're talking about. Directing, again, I think is fairly obvious. But just explain a little bit about your roles in terms of executive producing, producing, and, you know, anything else that you take on like that. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, to be honest, sometimes I don't know if there is a real definition. To those, to right. The word producer, man, it can be, you know, I always say producers have the hardest job. And it's also often the most thankless job. You know, everything that needs to be worked out from, you know, logistics to, um, you know, whatever, you know, just figuring out the the plan, yeah. you know, um, that's hard, you know, and it's, an, it's so essential. And there are people that it can, you can be very good at it or you can be really terrible at it. Um, we've all worked for each, 
right? Yes, yeah, um, for sure. Um, but it, you know, a good producer who can put together a good plan so everybody else can do their job well and not worry about you know if they're going to eat the next day. Um, that's that's good. You know, that's a good thing. I think on the executive producer side, I think you know, in my role with that is um, it's semi-specific. Um, you know, being a, a wildlife host, um, being in an industry a long time, as you know, it's it's a small world. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody knows everybody. And um, it's funny. It's, you know, you go to one of these, you know, Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival, for example. You go there and it's always the same thing. It's like, you know, you walk in there and there's all these familiar faces that just grew two years older. Right. Yeah, and yeah. they're all your buddies. And, you know, you say hi and it's like you work with them or you wish you could work. But you know everybody there. And then there's like kind of the the young class, right? That always shows up to those things. And um, you know, the next two years later, half of that young class, if not more, they've gone extinct. Yeah. But some stick around, right? Yeah. Some stick around. And next year, half of those are gone, but some stick around. And then they end up being your buddies, and they end up being people that you know well, and they're people that you're going to be doing business with. So, on the executive business producer side, I think that that's that's a big key thing. Is is um nurturing and uh, utilizing those relationships to to build programs um and you know i have made some wonderful friends and uh, through the years and a lot of it comes from actually access of being a host you know when you're a host you get you have open doors to networks you know it's for some reason right yeah and um you know and not very many production companies that are just starting out can pick up the phone and call Netflix and say, hey, I got to pitch something. And they're like, hey, pitch it to me now, you know? Sure, um, yeah. So that I think that on the executive producer side, it's, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing a lot of the time in that role, you know, is just kind of taking in you know, ideas and kind of sifting through them and seeing if they're good and then trying to marry them to, you know, try to making, make stories and then see where the stories are going to, you know, who's looking for what kind of stories out there in the network world. And then, taking some of those other relationships that I've met along the way, like this good director, this good producer, this good camera guy, putting them together because they're going to be really good at shooting moose or whatever, and then pitching it to this guy. And it's, it's yeah, that's where that executive producer role comes from on my end. And uh, yeah, and that's kind of why I started my production company is because having all those relationships and putting that all together, uh, it seemed like a it would be a shame not to utilize all those awesome relationships that I've made over the years and try to yeah. tell some awesome stories. So that's where, that's the definition of that role in my mind. Sure. Yeah. No, I think, I, I think, yeah, as you say, there, there's kind of a mix between them, but I very much see that, that as the roles as well. Um, you know, producers being more, very much, uh, you know, project specific and working on, you know, working out the details of each project, um, logistics and what have you and, uh, and so forth. Um, I, I would love to get on to, well, first of all, before we move on to, we'll, we'll talk about Puma's Legends of uh, the Ice Mountain, because that's something close to my heart. I don't know whether you know, my, my wife is a mountain lion biologist. Uh, we spent years in the field, you know, capturing, collaring 70-odd mountain lions in the uh, Reno, Sierra Nevada uh, mountain ranges. Um, so we'll get on to that because I've got some great questions to ask you. But what I'd love to do is first go back a little bit and ask you about Brutus. How's Brutus doing? Well, that's a, it's a, a sad question. Actually, Bruce oh. died in oh. February. Yeah. Oh, I didn't um, know. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's a, it's a, it's the elephant in the room otherwise. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know he, he was uh, having some mobility issues um, and we took him into this university of Washington, or Washington state university just to do some MRIs and see what was going on. Right. Um, and then, you know, you got to anesthetize a bear and uh, sometimes things just don't, he didn't come out of it and oh, um, yeah and that happened in february and um yeah it's been a bummer because that that bear um definitely defined a lot of who i am sure. um, there's yeah. no doubt about that yeah you know and, and, and it's interesting you know learning a little bit about your background um now you know you know that bear you know simultaneously with all this filmmaking stuff i was consulting at wildlife parks working with a lot of different wildlife parks i had that skill set too especially in my younger years and um you know i gained a lot of that same knowledge that you you did you're talking about that sure. you know? yeah like, even yeah. it comes down to just you know you walk in and you're like you've been cleaning fox crap for two weeks and then you walk out in the wild and as soon as you smell a fox you know no doubt what it is because you've had that That's catalog right. in your head right yeah yeah 
But what the cool thing with Brutus is, you know, rescuing him when he, you know, 20 years ago, um, deciding to start a sanctuary to rescue grizzly bears. I mean, and I was 25 years old and crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, um, and then forming that relationship with him specifically um, and learning the intricacies of a grizzly bear. And just, this, this, you know, the thing, an animal that I was watching and filming and studying out in the wild constantly and how much he taught me about grizzly bears yeah. um, was amazing. But then, you know, even beyond that, and it's really become my my mantra at this point is that Gummy, that these individual beings out there have their own personalities. They have they're all they're all a product of their own life and mm-hmm. their experiences. Yeah. And you know, to think, okay, if Brutus could feel and be this way, why not that bear over there? Why not that bear? So you start looking at the wild world instead of uh, you know just grizzly bears are just mountain lions. You see them as a group of individuals that are making their own choices and doing things uh, individually. And it just, then if you look at it that way, it, uh, you just think of all the stories that can be told out there. Yeah, and they're sure. very relate, relatable to people. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, he changed my life. He really did. And, uh, you know, there's still other bears at the sanctuary. Um, you know, and uh, it still could, but I'll never have a relationship like I did with him. But, sure. yeah, you know, but what I do now in every aspect of my life, even if it's being an executive producer, um, you know, his his spirit and his legend and what he taught me will always be part of, a big part of that. Well, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, again, my, my you know, I, I, I'm very sorry about that. I, when I think of you, I always think of Brutus, you know, yeah. I mean, you, your, your career you know, really, you, he was in so much of what you did. I know you were on like Oprah, you know, on Oprah with Brutus and, you know, share having his dinner with him and, and, and what have you. And, and just, you know, that's, as you say, a big part of your life. So, um, but animals are animals. They always generally live less than us. And we, yeah. you know, that's the way it goes. You know, I've never spoken about this before, but growing up on the wildlife park, I had a couple of favorite animals and people always, oh, what, what was it? The Bengal tigers? Was it the, you know, the puma? Was it this? And it was actually, one was a fallow deer called Tina. And the other one was a cow named Daisy, right? (laughs) And the reason for that was both of them had incredible personalities. Personalities that shone through over, you know, we had everything from farm animals to exotic wildlife to, you know, mostly rescued or breed part breeding programs. And they, these two animals for me were, I had a connection with. And Tina had two broken legs, they'd been pinned, she was in a car accident. And uh, but she she always recognized me from a distance, looked forward me for, to me coming over to her, giving her a little, you know, tickle on the chin. And she would have a little cuddling with nuzzle our heads together. And Daisy, the cow is the same. It's a cow. She's a big brown cow. But she would love a big old scratch and she would lick me and all this stuff. And, and you know, I was heartbroken when Daisy, she was 32 years old when when she passed away. And I, yeah, I mean, she was an, she was an old cow, um, but she, you know, I was heartbroken because she was such a huge part of my life growing up and, um, and being around her. And, and the nice thing is that those, those relationships aren't replaceable. Like you said, you know, you've got other bears and you'll have other relationships with those bears, but they won't be Brutus. And, um, you know, I think what's wonderful is that you had, you know, there's so much you've documented with Brutus and, um, and he was so much uh, a big part of your life. So again love brutus yeah you know it was once you know once he died i had um a lot of people reach out someone said something i cannot remember who it was specifically but um you know they said brutus made a million people smile yeah and uh i just thought that's it's so powerful you know it's just he represented a side of grizzly bears that you know you don't hear about you know you hear about grizzly bears when they're doing something wrong usually And, uh, you know, we know that the truth of a grizzly bear is somewhere between there, but he represented something wonderful and taught a lot of people things. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm certain that he saved lives, both human and grizzly. Um, He definitely changed the perspective of the the grizzly bear to a lot of people. And uh, so I think he he left a massive footprint. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so important. So very important. Well, I think it's wonderful what you're doing with the sanctuary and all of your other 
um, kind of endeavors other than the wildlife filmmaking side of things is amazing. And I, I don't know how you fit it all in because I know how much, <laughs> you know, those things uh, time-wise take. But um, let, let's move forward to um, your programming. And, and you've done a ton of programming over the years, but I want to I talk about this um, Puma's Legends of the Ice Mountain because I know this is, you know, a big thing for you in terms of its Puma's. It's kind of a dream come true for you to film this first of all so this takes place in patagonia you guys went down there to film i think that they have the is it the highest density of puma anywhere in the world in in that area it, it sure seems like it right i, I <laughs> yeah. think I've, I've read that somewhere but i know they're they're all over the place so i've never been there but certainly you know you and i know what it takes to track a mountain lion they're not co called yeah. ghost cats or the most elusive cat for no reason they're hard to find my, my wife and i would go out after putting collars on we would have telemetry we got up to three feet away from a cat one time when the collar was not working properly. We had to go and swap the collar out and we're trying to find this cat. It was down curled up in a sagebrush and you couldn't see it. You couldn't see it until it let us know it was there. And so they're elusive. Um, so, you know, having that, uh, the background that you have in Montana, being out tracking lions, finding them for people to film, just just you know going out and tracking them for fun, and then going to Patagonia and seeing those lions just out with their kittens lying around, and you can get as close as you could to them with cameras. What was that like? I mean, it was mind blowing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly what you said. I mean, I've had some success filming them in Montana, and that that was mind blowing, right? If you see yeah. one, get you know, a few seconds a day of filming, it was like, yes. Um, yeah, and we, you know, yeah, the Patagonia, the, the Pumas down there, you, there was rumors flying around about them for a long time. And uh, I had to go see it for myself. And uh, I had some friends down there that were telling me about it all the time. But at the same time, you know, you know, it is, you hear these stories and you're like, well, maybe there's some embellishment here. I don't know. You know, this can't be. It normally is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You got to go filter it out and see if it's, if it's true or not. And uh, yeah, in fact, there's, there's another, uh, we were filming, well, I went down there and we were filming simultaneously when I went down there and um, where I was kind of, it was an experiential thing. Um, it actually ended up being a program on Smithsonian called into the Puma triangle. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, while I'm down there, I'm just, I, yeah. My, my my mind's blown you know you expect you know we're talking about that anticipation of behavior i mean you get your eyes on a cat as soon as you make eye contact with that animal you know it's just gonna go gone right yeah and if the other you know not there <laughs> you know we have these cats approaching us we have you know you're wow. seeing them everywhere you 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 know walk by them and they don't even open their eyes because they're just sleeping they it was it was a wonderful thing and what occurred to me right away was this wasn't because they had been um habituated to humans right you know there's not a lot of it's just that they never learned that humans are bad right it's the opposite almost yeah, yeah they just don't understand yeah and um and it's kind of awesome you know it's, it's like it's just you know it's like kind of what you experience with bears and cat lion, for example you know it's just yeah is you see you are there but you are not on the radar and you um are seeing this like uninhibited behavior you're just you're just a fox <laughs> you know you're just just some animal walking by and and that's just peacefully getting along and you know with a big predator that is supposed to be invisible and now they're visible everywhere so you have all the questions right from running around nevada and putting radio collars on it's like what's happening between each beep right yeah and now you're there and you can see exactly with your own eyes what's happening between each blip on the gps caller uh you know what i mean and yeah, yeah, uh absolutely real time yeah and it's that's you know for again that curiosity just that childlike curiosity that you have and wonderment um it's yeah like you said a dream come true yeah i mean it must as you say can be completely surreal just have those lions look at you like that and not be scared because so many people again it's like you say about grizzly bears it's same with sharks same with lions we hear about them when they're attacking someone when they're doing something that we consider dangerous and and, and what people don't realize is of course it's one in a million and there's normally we we actually got a call out by the sheriff's department when there was a, a lion that had 
killed someone's dog and it was being aggressive to people and we thought that's uh, you know it's it's odd that doesn't make any sense you know having having tracked and been around many many lions that doesn't make any sense but to most people they, they think well that's a lion of course it of course it is and we're like no that's not a lion that's just what you uh you know have been socially conditioned to think and so we go out there and it's like a 35 pound cub kitten and it's uh it's been in a trap it's got all it's got one paw half ripped off it's managed to pull out the trap the other paw it's got the wrist all opened up and you see all the bones this thing's in so much trauma pain uh suffering it can't move around properly so sure enough it did eat a small dog it caught a dog because hey the dog was probably up in its face and it's like this is the only meal i'm gonna get um, so I went up and I tranquilized that thing from about six feet away and it's giving me all of the, the upset, but, uh, you know, it had to be euthanized. It was in such a mess, but straight away, you know, our feeling was correct. There's something wrong. This is not normal mountain lion behavior. And sure enough, it's a, a, a trap, a hunter's trap that had, you know, or a trapper's trap that it had pulled out from. So, you know, we, we, we see those things and it's, um, it, it's, it's just hard because we're constantly trying to explain to people, you know, in our roles as educators uh, of these species that, um, you know, they are misunderstood and we have to be very, very careful there. So so going back to you being out there, you're, you're out there, you're seeing these cats at this, uh, you know, crazy close quarters. They're not worried by you being there, which is completely surreal. How do you then go about? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll go straight to the the meat of this, and that is that you you in this uh, the program you filmed uh, a cat taking down a guanaco, or at least attempting to. I, I can't remember if I actually took it down, yeah, it, but yeah. but attempt. But that that's the kind of footage that here we dream of getting. You know, we've been looking at trying to film horse kills here because they're feeding on horses, and it's like wow, if we could get that shot. But there, of course, you can just watch them and just wait for them to make a kill. So did, was that something you had been anticipating and waiting for? Or was it something that uh, you, you know, that just happened and you were lucky enough to be on that cat at the time? No, I definitely anticipated that one. So this female specifically was a notorious killer. <laughs> she was just good at it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so and she was a big, a big character in our and the story that was kind of developing. So we were already following her, but we knew, you know, every you know, evening she'd get up and it was going to be hunt time. And if you would stick with her, the odds were going to be really good, but right. sticking with her was tough. Yeah. You know, in this case, what was amazing was that that was filmed uh, on a red camera with a, what is that? 70 to what's that lens? Like a one ten or something. It's just like little weird lens. That's yeah. Yeah. On. Yeah. yeah um on there on a movie so right <laughs> literally walking with her hunting which is amazing wow and we did this yeah. several times and then she started kind of going around this back area and the guanaco were in front of us and um yeah we knew it might go down but now it's a it's a movie and so the band, a short uh, lens yeah, a tiny but, lens for. Yeah. If you watch that sequence, it's hilarious. It's because you know Ben's this kid that works for me that had had the movie, and this all started going down, and it came right towards camera, and you you know you you're trying to pull you know you can't just you know you're not just moving the lens you got to kind of do like the rotated yeah, towards you know yeah yeah yeah, and then it, she runs and he tries to keep up and then she goes out of frame and over this hill, so he just takes off running. Excellent. And I was running over the hill. And it's funny because while he was running, the camera tilts up. And as he comes over the hill, it just naturally pans down. And it's just beautiful. Like you would never do, you, you could do it on purpose, but it just yeah. is this beautiful mountain revealed to this cat yeah. and Monaco just smashing up and down on the ground. And uh, oh, yeah. And, and then just sit there solid and got, got the moment, you know, 50 meters in front of us. Um but yeah, no, I mean, it was it, the answer to your question is, you know, it was knowing and kind of patterning, patterning the animal and being in the right place at the right time. And then when it all goes down, just just getting after it, yeah. <laughs> you know, making it happen, making uh, it knowing happen. that it may not happen again, you know, and um, and then at the you know, that's one of those ones, man. We've all had that in the field and you get done with that. It's just like you 
on the way back to the, the truck to drive away, you tell the story 15 times, really excited. You high five 400 times yeah. Then you get back to camp and you drink a couple beers and you high five 500 more times and you watch the footage and you congratulate yourselves a thousand times. And then you make sure you, when you offload the footage that nothing happens to it. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> back it up 47 it, times. I was going to say, yeah, not the normal three. It's going to be, no, 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 we've got to have it somewhere else. Okay, let's yeah, send it exactly. on a plane now to another country. Uh, that's fantastic. That I mean, you know, so I think many people would say those circumstances, there's a, there's luck, right? You you were lucky. But, but sure. I mean luck i think is a you know it's a loose term because you know seneca the philosopher once coined luck as being um uh, preparedness meets opportunity and i'm a big believer in that because you guys you know it's not luck you were there you were after those shots you were prepared and you were there ready for the opportunity and those things met and you you took it on head on and and Ben ran across a mountain to to film it, and that's the kind of camera guy you want to have with you when that stuff goes down, you know, which is that's which right. is phenomenal. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's yeah, being there and and sticking with something that long, I you know, again, th there's a picture. It's been circulating, um, you know, forever, but certainly on social media now, it's like that whole thing of success, right? There's one guy digging away in a, a tunnel, and there's the gold. And he goes, I'm done. This is ridiculous. It's never going to happen. He walks away, but there's like one inch of earth and there's this giant, you know, thing of gold. And, and wildlife filmmaking, I find, is very much like that. You know, we're, we're just digging, we're digging, we're digging. And after a while, it just feels like this is, uh, it's never going to be broadcast. I'm never going to get the story or I've got a budget, but I'm screwing this up so bad because I can't get what I need. And then it can just all happen, bang, you know. And a lot of the time, I mean, many of our productions that when we were working with Nat Geo Wild, you know, we would be filming for say, there were short filming periods of two to three weeks, but everything would happen in that 11th hour. It'd be like, you'd be really struggling, right? For two and a half weeks. And then literally in two days, you get the entire show. You know, yep. you might so use a few pieces from that two and a half weeks, but everything's done in the 11th hour. And I think that sums up wildlife filmmaking. Uh, you know, you, it's perseverance. You've got to stick with it. You've got to be there. And then you get those shots. You get the, the lucky stuff. But you only get that because you've been there. No, it's true. And I mean, that's you said everything perfectly. And it's amazing how that just holds true for everybody out there. Um, you know, and, and there, you got to have that knowing that there's that inch of dirt and the gold on the other side. You got to have that hope all the time. Um, and, you know, a lot of, it's just a lot of people... They want to be wildlife filmmakers. And that is the thing that breaks them. They cannot wait that long. Uh, you know, yeah. and I'll, I'll give you an example. This hasn't happened to me. I've been lucky. I have been lucky all my career. And I completely believe in uh, the, the philosophy of Seneca. I mean, I'm, I'm with that completely, but I have been lucky um, in that, in that formula. But just recently um, I had this scenario that I thought was very predictable um the mountain lion and go there I and mean, think anything is predictable that's foolish to begin with <laughs> right right but i had some really interesting behavior going on and i was you know getting it regularly regularly and i, I kind of put my reputation on the line saying hey i think i can get this you know and i put it through the filter i really believed i would um and then you know i had some things with weather and it changed behavior and, and this production company put a lot of money down on my believing this was going to happen and after a month of trying, I mean, and I literally didn't sleep as longer it went. I just was tried harder and harder. It didn't happen. They went, we went home with nothing. Yeah. And spent a lot of time and a lot of money. And that does happen sometimes. Yeah. But when that happens, I think that that's one of those things like you have to take a deep breath. You got to re reflect on why it didn't work out. And you got to grow and, um, you know, learn from that moment and how you're going to apply it to the next one, because it's not, you know, if you keep working hard, it's not always going to pay off, but most of the time it will. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, you know, failure is so much of the learning curve of success. You know, if you don't have those failures, then um, you probably won't get success, 
you know, in the long term anyway, because, you know, it's, success all comes from trying and trying and trying. And there has to be many failures along the line, along the way. You know, we had a similar thing back uh, around 2006. We were filming uh, Wild Events, the series was, and it was um, all about the largest animal spectacles and migrations in the world. One of them being the, um, the caribou up in the Northwest Territories. <clears throat> and we spent three weeks up there and got nothing. And it was, we got nothing, not because of the wildlife, but because of uh, the outfitters and being left without food and the plane not coming back and, you know, a disastrous tale. Um, but that's my production company is Nine Caribou Productions. And it's named that after that, that show, uh, that, that filming experience where we went to film a potential one and a half million caribou crossing the tundra. And I saw nine caribou. I, I, you know, we saw one in camp that came through this lone caribou that just stood and kind of looked at us. And then uh, flying out on the last day after filming nothing, I saw eight on the ground. <laughs> so so I, I, I named my production company Nine Caribou Productions. I, lo because, I love that. It's yeah. a constant reminder, right? It's a constant of the, reminder. Of the grind. That, well, and it, and it of the grind and, the, you know, that that series was still made. It was made into a six part instead of a seven part series. Uh, and it it uh, or was it eight and seven. I can't remember now. Um, but the point is that for me, the success that came out of that is my production company. Right. Yeah. That, that's it, it's it is what it is. It was a learning curve and it showed me fairly early on midway through my career that things can go horribly wrong. And someone has to pay for it. You know, there is, there's always a tab somewhere that it gets, someone's losing money. But, you know, it was still a successful series, so that, that's okay. But, but the, those moments, are, they're times when we could easily curl up into the fetal position, right? But pull the cover over our head and go, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to be seen on TV again. I don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, I'm done with this. I, I want a nine-to-five job where this stuff doesn't happen. And of course, you know, you can, you can shy away from it a bit, but then we're the kind of people that want this kind of lifestyle. We want the, you know, the uncertainty, like you were saying earlier, it's that, you know, when someone says it can't be done, you're like, well, I'm the man to do it because that's what drives us, you know? And it's, um, that's the pleasure in it, right? That's the pleasure. So, um, Awesome. So, so Casey, let, let's talk about um, advice to people getting into this industry. If you had to give a, just a single piece of advice for someone trying to break into this industry, whatever their goal is and what, you know, in terms of title that they want to hold or position they want to hold. These are people who are, you know, they've got a camera, they're out filming, um, but, you know, they don't see a path into the industry because really there isn't a set path you know there's no blueprint that anyone has drawn up to say this is how you get into the wildlife filmmaking industry what piece of advice would you get to people in that uh, position yeah it's it's i think it's pretty obvious for me um i you know if you want to be in this industry i say find the person that you'd love to be i guess at some level or you know the the track that you'd like to go down and go up to them and say hey i'll do find them and say hey i'll do anything for nothing for free yeah yep. i'll volunteer i'll carry your bag i will brush your teeth if you want me to all <laughs> <laughs> right but, but build that relationship and show them how hard of a worker you are yeah. um i think that's the thing with this i i've you know i've found that to be the main thing is just building those relationships and getting that getting through that door somehow you know and and honestly sometimes it is working for free volunteering i know for me um you know, a lot of those things I talked about in the beginning, I didn't do it for anything, you know, maybe gas money. Yeah. And for years, years and years. Yeah. But I got to show who I was and got an opportunity to grow from there. And I think that, you know, I always say too, there's another, you know, dust off the books and get your boots muddy. So I think there's, you know, leaning into some of those things too, is just like learn about the behavior, learn, get out there and learn and then, you know, that goes two ways. You can learn from a book and you can learn by just being out there and getting your boots muddy. Um, and that's, you're going to have to get that experience um, too. Um, so that's, I mean, my advice is, yeah, get, find, hunt these people down. <laughs> yeah. And um, stalk them. <laughs> and tell them that you'll do it for free. Casey told me to stalk this person. It was on a podcast. <laughs> 
stalk them. Yeah, be a predator. You know, a lot of people, you know, I get this question a lot, you know, and there's things like, you know, the Jacksonville Wildlife Film Festival or going to Wild Screen in Bristol. This is where all those people that you want to meet are. And it could cost some money to get there. But I can honestly say that, you know, I've met a lot of young kids that are ambitious and got found their way there by volunteering at those festivals and uh, hired them. Or in 10 years after I met them there, as they were, you know, volunteering and cleaning up after our parties, they're now commissioning shows. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you yeah. just never know. And that's right. And, uh, but they were, that's what they did. So, I mean, getting out there, going to some place like that, you know, you'd be, I think a lot of kids, young people would be amazed. I guess they don't have to be a young person, but budding sure. filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's all, all ages be, for sure. Yeah, you'll be rubbing elbows and drinking beers with, you know, executive producers of Planet Earth. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, so I think that's what you got to go do. That's fantastic, and you know, I think no success. It doesn't matter what what your what kind of industry you're in, but no success really comes without that risk. That the risk of um, you know one putting yourself out there to the financial risk, you know, because the the thing I hear about that all the time because people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that you and I did tons of work for nothing and got in debt, and you know we didn't get into the place where we are in our careers from just getting a job and being paid. It doesn't work like that. Um, you know, it, it can do in certain circumstances, but as you say, I mean, it, once you build those connections up, then really you're on the path, the track to choose what you want to do and see how that goes. Um, but there's a certain amount of risk in it, you know, and you do have to put yourself out there and you do have to eat ramen noodles for a, a year or two, you know, three times a day uh, to follow your dreams. And I think that's the same as, say, for, for whatever industry. The nice thing about this is a very small industry, like you say, once you start to know people, put yourself out, go to those festivals, meet people. The connections happen very, very fast and people soon know if you're serious. I think there's a connection here between the, the wildlife sanctuary world and the wildlife filmmaking world. And that connection is, you know, when I ran the wildlife park in the UK, we had hundreds of people want to volunteer every year, right? Yeah. And you would take people on and you'd go, you know, it's okay. We don't, we only need like five volunteers. But what we'll do is we'll take 20 on at a time because only three or four of them will actually stay. And that's yeah. because once they understand what volunteering with wildlife is, they won't want to be there. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to just, I want to come and look at the, the tigers. And, you know, I, I want to come and stroke the, you know, and just, you know, put my emotional energy into the place. What they don't want to do is shovel crap all day long. <laughs> and get yeah. dirty and smelly, get in the shower at the end of the day and wonder why you can't get that smell out of your skin, right? They don't want to do that. And it's the same in the wildlife filmmaking industry. You get people, as you say, they turn up, they go and see what it's like, and it's all just too daunting or complicated or hard, and, and you never see them again. Get that all the time. And, yeah, um, no, and that's been that passion too. I think another thing is, is it continues on. I think when you're that you realize that you have the passion and you want to be there and you don't mind smelling like crap all day long and you don't mind eating ramen noodles. Um, it's got to live inside of your soul. Uh, I think mean, it's, you know, to, it's got to be there. It's that perseverance that your perseverance you're talking about earlier that just will get you through those bad days. It'll get you through that wall of dirt to the gold. Yeah. You know, just the example, just recently I did a, a job for free um, because I was just so excited about it. You know, and everybody looks at me and it's like, you know, I have a business manager now. It's like, this is the fall of UKC for sure. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. It's actually why I am who I am now. Yeah. It's because I didn't care about money. I cared about this project and I wanted to do it. And I was going to take every bit of my time and my resources and do it. And I think that, you know, people like to work with people like that. People, um, that passion will shine through um, no matter what. And uh, I think you got you got to have, and you just if you have that passion and you're someone budding in this industry, own it and stick with it, and it never goes away. Well, yeah, and don't forget why you're in it. As you say, I mean, if you have that passion up front, that's why you got into it. You love working with wildlife, and a project comes along. I have a project. I'm I'm coming up to Wyoming next week. Uh, we're filming a project pretty much for expenses only, and we're doing it again because they're people we know. We like what they're doing. 
And it's what I want to do. I want to film wildlife. And if I can do that and hey, I get my expenses paid and I, I like what I'm doing, that that's what it's all about. That's 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 what keeps me in this industry, like we've said over and over. So um yeah. so it's very, very important. Um lastly, Casey, uh bucket list. You got what what kind of what what's on your bucket list in terms of maybe species and, and location? Oh man. I you know, I've filled a lot of my buckets. I was just weird having this conversation recently. Um Species and location. Hmm. Well, yeah, one, um, gosh, I got a good spot. (laughs) Wolverines. Um, Another one people say I can't be done. Um, There hasn't been a lot done about it. You know, a lot of captive Wolverines have been used as wild Wolverines, but Mm -hmm. I do know of a good spot. And I've been trying to get this project off the ground. Can can you give us the GPS location of that? No, <laughs> but it's amazing. You know, I, I saw like six wild wolverines in a day and, and, uh, you know, again, it's, it's an animal. It's so elusive. And so yeah. again, the impossible, I've heard this in the industry so many times. So now it just makes me want to go do yeah. it so much. Um, that's definitely high on the list. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, the same, I'm trying to think of something else that's in that realm. You know, there's just, there's places that I'd love to, to go. Um, I've never been, you know, parts of Russia, I'd love to go. I mean, Siberian tigers are always intriguing. They fall into that impossible thing. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I could track a cat in that world. Um, yeah. Otherwise, man, I've <laughs> anything, anytime there's any weird stories out there, um, you know, it's always looking, it's not always just the elusive, but there's those, those strange stories I think that need to be told, you know, that people we just don't know uh, another example is just you know what we've learned about mountain lions and how social they are just in the yeah. last 10 years yeah um i think there's a lot to learn about a lot of animals that we don't know a lot about um and just got to get out there and endure those moments and spend a lot of time out there and the stories will come alive yeah um for sure what, what, what i love your bucket list say again What's your on your top of your bucket list? Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's funny. I I don't really have. I mean, you know, I I fell in love with whale sharks. Um, gosh, twenty, I don't know, about twenty six, twenty seven years ago, I had this epiphany with a whale shark on the Ningaloo Reef off of the uh, west coast of Australia, and it really was something when I was struggling with. I was at the wildlife park, but I was, you know, early twenties at this point. I'd been there from, you know, I left school early been working at the wildlife park because it was a family wildlife park and i kind of got to the point of like is this what i want to do i mean i loved it but but it was like i'm not sure that i I can stay here and just do this is there more and i I traveled australia for a year Uh, i trained as a chef for two i came back came back to the uk thought i want to be in australia i trained as a chef because there were the two they had a list of uh Uh, careers that you could move into the country with right and it was like brain surgeon chef were at the top of the list i'm like oh brain surgeon chef Ah, i'll try chefing so i trained as a chef for two years and um and i went back out to australia got a job in uh highlight 33 it was a revolving restaurant in perth Uh, it's called something else now and um but before i did that i wanted to go and fulfill this dream i had of of snorkeling with uh, the whale shark so i went up and got in the water with this incredible whale shark and with a couple of them actually and i had a small uh cnc like instamatic underwater camera that's what they were in those days you know they cost a fortune they were just an instamatic camera right yeah i took that down with me yeah uh, bright orange you know i took it down i'm taking pictures and i can't see anything through the viewfinder nothing it's all fogged up and and anyway long story short i suddenly feel this pressure in my kind of sternum and i i pull the camera away and it's the corner of the mouth of the whale shark as I, while i'm messing around my camera it's pushing me through the water with the corner of its mouth and i'm just like i let go of the camera which floats to the top and then it it kind of pushes me off and it goes by and I just look into its eye and my I, immediately my eyes filled with tears. I was just so overwhelmed with emotion. And it was that moment there was a knowing inside of me. It sounds cliche, but but it's absolutely how it happened. There was this, this knowing that, what the hell am I doing being a chef? I don't want to be a chef. Why am I doing this? Why am I here? I'm, well, I'm here to experience this. I got out of the water 
Uh, I was in the water for the rest of the day. But that day, you know, at the end of the day, I got out and I booked my ticket back to the UK to go and run the wildlife park. And it was that moment that sealed for me that I needed to work with wildlife. And so I've had this connection with whale sharks ever since then. I've never done anything with them since. So I, I would love to go and film whale sharks again. I think, you know, yeah, it's exactly. such a yeah exactly i mean it's it's one of those things i'd love to take my boys you know to go and to go and yeah. uh, snorkel with them as well and just go back to that place so that would be incredible but what i was going to say as well as that is what i love about this is the way that you find stories and they unfold in front of you like you know you can be going and filming something else and you see something and you go wow that's a story that i had no idea and it might be about a dung beetle or it might be about, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, a hawk. or it, it could be anything that suddenly just a little, you know, light bulb goes off and you go, well, there's a story there. And I love that about it. It's not so much, it's more about the bucket list I don't know exist yet, right? Because yeah, I know they're great, there. That's a great point. I mean, I, yeah. exactly. Every location you go to, you go to chase a story and you find two better ones it yeah. seems like right. everywhere and then you just you want to get on and film that and you're like well i better finish yeah. this one first you know and then i'll yeah. come back uh, but. it's it's so cool i i it just remind me and it's a story I've, this happened recently but i just gotta tell it because it's one of my favorite stories to tell um you know people often ask like what's the coolest thing you've ever filmed right and it often is one of those things that just comes jumps out of, of nowhere right you're focusing here and then something else happens um but during legends of ice mountain we were out with that female I was telling you about. She had two young kittens um, that we'd gotten to know her and those kittens pretty well. And we knew it was that it was that evening time. She was going to get up and hunt. So we knew where she was. We went, we were kind of waiting and they were laying around being boomas. You know? yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So one of the kittens was really kind of a, a mama's boy. And the other one was a more independent. Um, and so as mama starts getting up and she's going to these high spots and looking across the view shed and trying to find where she's going to go hunt next. The little, the boy followed her and kind of sat next to her. Um, and we were in the vehicle and I, at the point I'm like operating a, a shot over it as mounted on the vehicle. So I'm sitting in the passenger seat, following her with the lens, but then I'm, you know, same time while I'm filming her looking around, I'm just looking back to see what the other kitten's doing. And um, the other kitten sitting there and just staring up at the sky and so i you know naturally i'm kind of out the window kind of looking and she is it looking at a, a you know a condor or some eagle or something it's got to be looking at something right? sure yeah um and it's and i look i don't see anything and um but this cat is just catatonic like a statue just staring up in the sky anyway so then i'm back and i'm filming mom and you know she's looking like she's gonna go hunt and um, leave the kittens behind and you know i'm kind of distracted with that but then i look back and this little kitten has not budged just staring and like just just this focused stare and it just it you know i had to know what was going on so much so i opened the door of the vehicle to see like maybe i can't see what it i get out and i look and sure enough here's the full moon in the sky right where this cat and this cat is just wow staring at the full moon mesmerized and it 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 just it hit me so hard because it was just like you know just another child of the earth yep. mesmerized by the beauty of the full moon yeah and and it just you know again it changes how you perceive these animals immediately mm -hmm. and you know of all the cool things i've seen the mountain lions killing the you know guanaco whatever right i mean so many yeah, that it, it's that struck me so much more than some, all those things. Yeah. You know, it was just, yeah, and uh, yeah, this happened recently. This is awesome. It, 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 yeah, those those it. little moments, those little nuggets that you you just don't. I mean, in my mind, you know, other people get that feeling from doing other things, whatever it might be. But for us, I think certainly for me, obviously you as well. It's those moments of clarity. When you realize there's such a so much more that we just have no understanding about, you know, there's more to the whole thing, right? When we see these animals reacting in ways we we do not expect, like that, as you say, a kitten staring at the full moon, it's just um, it's those moments, and it's that feeling you get that I can't imagine getting from any other nine to five job. I really can't. You know, those moments of inspiration and insight and 
just filling your heart. That's the way I see it. Because that's what it feels like. It feels like your heart's being filled in those moments, doesn't it? For sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Casey, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been awesome chatting with you. Where can people find out about what you're doing, you know, uh, videos or, you know, just stay connected with you uh, online? Uh, if you go to CaseyAnderson.tv, um, that's my website. And then also VisionHawkFilms.com. Um, and then, of course, it's social media. Uh, I'm a Grizz guy, Grizzly guy. I don't even know what they are, but those are my usually my handles. Um, I, I keep that up to date pretty good with what's going on, especially my Facebook. Although Facebook's kind of getting shows my age. All the kids <laughs> doing that Instagram and TikTok thing. You're not on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> I just got off last week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, I'll I'll look up all your handles and I'll put links to your social media and your websites on the episode page on uh, on on the podcast website. So again, thanks so Great. much for being here. I really appreciate it. it's been fun to chat. Oh, been awesome. Thanks, Jake. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series' future episodes. You can find out more information about wildlife filming at jakewillers.com. And if you're interested in starting a career in the wildlife filmmaking industry or being mentored to further your career, then please visit jakewillers.com forward slash mentorship. Thanks for listening. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.